dealing with the question of what it means for a Christian to be spirit-filled. It means the enjoyment of divine life. It means to be under the control of the Spirit of God, a yielded life. It's a, it's a life where God himself is living out his life through his people, that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Then what did he mean? Christ might have the run of the house, that Christ might be in complete, in complete control of the believer's life. In Ephesians 5, 18, he says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is the meaning of being filled with the Spirit? Well, we are moving into a fuller understanding of what the filling of the Spirit means to the Christian. The filling by the Holy Spirit is evident when the Christian walks in fellowship with his Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, for the believer, it is the realization of the very presence of the Lord himself in one's everyday life. Now, Dr. Mitchell is going to take us on a short journey back to the book of Exodus, where he gives us an example from the life of Moses. Now, the third thing involved in being filled with the Spirit of God is power. As Jesus announced in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is the very power of God himself who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell as he explains more of what it means to be filled with the Spirit here on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Thank you. As we continue our studies in the ministry of the Spirit of God in the believer, we are dealing with the question of what it means for a Christian to be spirit-filled. And we were saying in our past lessons that it means the enjoyment of divine life. It means to be under the control of the Spirit of God, a yielded life. And the Lord is in us, the Spirit of God is in us, now let him control us. It's a life where God himself is living out his life through his people. And the more I yield myself to him, the more, of course, he is free to live out and move through, through one's life. And then we said it meant to walk in fellowship with God and his will, that his purpose becomes our purpose, his will becomes our will. And this was, of course, very paramount in the life of our Savior. In fact, the consuming passion of our Savior was the will of his father. He was obedient to his word and submissive to his will. And when you and I are walking in fellowship with God, we're spirit-filled. I want this very clear in your mind. 
For some reason, Christians have put the spirit-filled life away off someplace unattainable and just for certain men or preachers or some, some who are high up. No, it's for every individual believer in Christ. I don't care where you live or what you are. If you love the Savior, God wants you to be spirit-filled. And I say, if you're not spirit-filled when you're walking in fellowship with him, then my friend, I don't know when you will be. It's the realization of the abiding presence of the Lord. You know, one of the last words our Lord said to the disciples was, I will come to you. I will come to you. You ever think of it? You take Paul and he's praying. I'm quoting from Ephesians when he prays to the Christians that the Christians might, that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Now they were Christians. Christ was already indwelling them. And what did he mean? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Christ might have the run of the house. That Christ might be in complete, what shall I say, the com- in complete control of the believer's life. He goes on the same prayer to pray that we might be filled unto all the fullness of God. This is the abundant life in Christ, a life lived in God, evident by the Spirit of God. Now, let me say this. The flesh is going to resist this life all along the way. This is one thing that our adversary, Satan, doesn't want. He doesn't want you to live in the Word of God. He doesn't want you to witness for the Savior. But above all, he does not want you to live a life lived in the Spirit. He doesn't want you to have a Spirit-filled life. He wants to get into your life and have some control over you. You know, it's an amazing thing how easily self-will takes over. But a Spirit-filled life is where God takes over. It's a question of our yieldedness to him. And as I said a moment ago, the flesh resists this life every inch of the way. Do you remember Galatians chapter 5, verse 17? The flesh desireth, lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. Let me give you an illustration. You know, we think of Moses, the man whom God knew face to face, and it's a wonderful thing when you come to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, nothing is said about the failure of Moses. And by the way, in that 11th chapter of Hebrews, where we have the report of all these Old Testament worthies, there are no failures there. Do you ever notice that? There are no failures there in that chapter. If you want to read their failures, they've got to read their history way back in the Old Testament. And that encourages me, it ought to encourage you, that when we stand in the presence of God, there'll be no sign of any failures of any kind. No frailty, no weaknesses, no failures, nothing there will be in evidence. Oh, what a wonderful thing to know that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed us from all sin. But it's, it's, it's a tragedy that we Christians who love the Savior and indwelt by the Spirit of God, we allow self-will through the flesh to resist God having his way with us. And I was going to use this illustration of Moses in chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Exodus. When God said to Moses when he was 80 years of age, way there in the, in the desert, he said, come now, let's go. And Moses said, who are you? Why should I go? Who are you? 
Well, I'll be with you. But who are you? He said, I am that I am. I am Jehovah, the ever-present God. I'll be with you. You think that would be enough? Oh, no. Oh, no. What's the next thing? These people won't believe me. At 40 years of age, I tried to be their leader, and I ran away. Do you think they listen to me now that I'm 80 years of age, so he tries to hide behind the unbelief of the people of Israel? Then the Lord said to him, What have you got in your hand? I've got a rod. Throw it down. Threw it down, became a serpent. Pick it up, and he picked it up, and it became a rod again. Put your hand in your bosom. It came out leprous. Put it back in. came out clean. Now, if the people will not accept these two signs, do a third one. Take water and pour it on the ground. It'll become blood. Wouldn't you think that would be enough? Oh, no. He keeps on resisting. What does he say next? He said, you know, I can't even talk. I can't even talk. I stutter. And the Lord said, who made man's mouth? I'm not I the Lord. I can do it through you. Wouldn't you think Moses would accept that? Oh, no. He said, well, who are you going to send to do the talking? And he said, okay, Moses. Aaron, your brother, he's, he's a good speaker. He's on his way to meet you. And Moses had a lean on that old, weak reed of Aaron. Brought him into a lot of trouble. Sometimes the Lord allows us. He just bows and allows us to go our own way and he and we want this and that and the other thing, and he gives it to us. He already allows us to have it, and the result is we get ourselves into trouble. Oh, to just trust the Lord. My Christian friend, with all your weaknesses and frailty, he cares for you. And you know what? He wants to live out his life in and through you, and he wants to live it through me. He wants your words and my words to be such that he will be magnified, that our lives will be a benediction to others, but above all, a praise to him. See, So let us not resist the Spirit of God. Let us yield ourselves in abandonment to him. Now, the third thing I want to say about the spiritual life, it means an endowment of power. Now, I know this is what everybody wants, is power. For example, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus said to the disciples, You shall receive power, the Spirit of God coming upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, just like you have in Luke 24, 48 and 49, when Jesus said to the disciples, You are witnesses of these things, but tarry at Jerusalem until you be endued with power, an inflow of life, an outflow of power. And there cannot be any outflow unless there's an inflow. The inflow demands an outflow. We have a lake over here near us, and as far as I know, we have no streams running into it, but there's one running out. Somewhere down below, they've got some inner springs which we don't see. Keep on filling it up with good, clear water, and it's an outflow. There must be an inflow. And when the Spirit of God comes into your heart and life, and you, you as a Christian will yield to that Spirit of God, then you're going to experience something of the power of God. 
And mark you, my friend, it's the power, the greatest power ever demonstrated by God in his universe. What do you think is the greatest demonstration of the power of God? You say, well, at creation, he just speaks and it's done. That's right. He just spoke the word, light be and light was. Let the firmament be divided and it was solved and so forth and so on in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. He just speaks the word and it is done. And he upholds all things by the word of his power, and by him all things are held together. The whole universe is held together by him. As you find it in Colossians chapter 1, you remember verses 18 and 19, together with Coloss- uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, by him all things are held together. No, my friend, the greatest demonstration of the power of God was when he raised his son Jesus from the dead. You see, all men and hell were determined to keep the body of Jesus in the tomb. You remember the Jews came to, to the to Pilate and said, that deceiver, Jesus said when he was yet among us, in three days I will rise again. Now, what about it? And... Pilate says, well, you've got to watch. You go and make the sepulcher as sure as you can. So we read, they rolled a stone and they sealed the stone and they set a watch. You think that's going to keep Jesus in the tomb? All hell was arrayed against the resurrection of Jesus. By the way, do you know why people don't believe in the resurrection of Christ? You know why all hell hates the resurrection of Christ? Because God has declared that this one who was raised from the dead is going to be their judge. You find that in Acts chapter 17, 31. God's going to judge men. By who? By the one he raised from the dead. Now Paul prays for this in Ephesians chapter 1 when he said he prays that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavens, far above all principalities and powers and so on. The power of resurrection and exaltation is to you and to me who believe. You know, there was a time, there was a time when I said, Dear Lord, give me more power. Oh, how many prayers go up. Lord, give me more power to do this, do that, or do the other thing. My friend, we don't even know the power. We don't even use the power God has already given to us. You and I already have in us right now the very power that can transform our bodies into bodies of glory. Take, a, take Romans 8.11, which says, If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Oh, Mr. Mitchell, how I'd love, love to please God, how I would love to do something for the Lord, how I would love to, to walk with him. You can. The very power of God, of a sovereign God is yours, my friend. You take Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, where Paul says, when Paul says we preach a person, you remember, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. I strive, therefore, according to the working of him who worketh in me 
mightily, mightily. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, do you remember it? Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down of every imagination, of every thought, that's a, and to hold everything in obedience to Christ. Power, power. Is that what you're crying for? Is that what you're praying for? My friend, the Spirit-filled life is a life of power. And as I said before, it doesn't necessarily mean to go out and perform miracles. Sometimes we need the power of God to live a Christian life right in our own homes. We need the power of God to live a Christian life where we work in the office, in the plant, in the factory. We need the power of God to live among our neighbors, to live that life that glorifies God. Indeed, how can you live the Christian life apart from the power of God? Impossible. That's why I'm so, so desirous that you and I shall be a people who shall walk in fellowship with God and know something of a life in God the most satisfactory life that a person can ever live on earth is that life lived in Christ here on earth, where he lives out his life through us. You ever think of it? No more worry, no more strain. Oh, to have a life without worry, without strain, without fear. My friend, it's yours. This is the spirit for life. Now, it may be, as I say, there may be a special filling to do specific, to meet specific needs. But I'm talking about, about every believer. This is in the province of every believer to be spirit-filled. Now, at regeneration, there was a crisis, and new life was given to us. We were saved. We were born again. We were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Our bodies became the sanctuaries of God. We were sealed by the Spirit. But now, a process, a daily process of continually being filled with the Spirit of God. This is not an act once for all. This is a continual thing. You may have been filled with the Spirit of God yesterday. Are you filled today? I've heard people get up and testify what happened five, ten years ago. Well, thank the Lord that happened, but that was five, ten years ago. What about now? What I want to know is now. What about my daily walk now? I'm concerned about the now, not the past, the now. And the, just inasmuch as I yield myself to him and walk in his fellowship, then, my friend, that's the life in the Spirit. That's the life of being Spirit-filled. You know, the early church had power to witness that dear old Peter. <laughs> when a girl said to him, the night our Lord was betrayed and crucified, you're one of his disciples. He said, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't even know what you're talking about. This is Peter before the cross. After he's filled with the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, he, 
He defies the whole Jewish nation. In fact, when he comes to chapters 3 and 4 and 5 of the book of Acts, he stands before the leaders of Israel, the very men who put Christ to death, the very council that said he must die by crucifixion. He accused them of killing the Prince of Life. He accused them of killing the Son of God. Oh, the transformation, what caused it? Filled with the Spirit. As I say, the early church had power to witness, to preach, to sacrifice, to suffer. Yes, to suffer. Because you remember they were all martyred. As far as I know, every one of the apostles, including Paul, were martyred. As far as we know about John, you remember John was boiled in oil and he went, he was in prison. He worked in the salt mines. He was a slave. He lived to a good, ripe old age, did John. Peter crucified head downwards. Andrew thrust through with a dart. James beheaded. Paul beheaded. They all knew what it meant to be in prison and to suffer for the Lord's sake, but full of joy. Why? Filled with the Spirit of God. My friend, you can have that. You mean me? Yes. Yes, little old you, right where you are. You say, but I'm shut in. I'm in bed. I can't get out. I don't care what your circumstances are, my dear friend. You can enjoy Christ for yourself. This is a spirit for life. The enjoyment of divine life. Walking in fellowship with God. You know, I remember a, a dear servant of the Lord just before he died, his daughter came in to see him. And he said to her, and this man was a wonderful Bible student, and he said to his daughter, you know, dear, my eyes are so bad I can't read anymore. And I'm so weak I can't pray anymore. So I've just put my head on the bosom of Jesus, and I'm enjoying him for himself. Ah, that's it, that's it. The enjoyment of Christ. For himself. Friend, this is a spirit-filled life. The enjoyment of Christ. May it be yours today.
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.